You know, that's easy to say because, we, you know, we look at 1 Corinthians and he says, uh, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, all things are past. Well, what does that really mean? And I think a lot of times we don't understand what that means because we don't really understand the realities of our salvation. We don't understand what's, what, what's going on. And so the last time we were together, if you'll remember, we looked at the recreated spirit. How God has recreated us spiritually down to our very core of who we are, our very existence. He has recreated. And, and as I think we need to know that about ourselves first before, because that leads into an understanding of who we are now. Last time we closed with, we saw that our recreated spirit was righteous. We're not, folks, we're not trying to get righteous. We're not hoping for righteousness. God has made us righteous. Uh, and I think a lot of times, and I shared this scripture, and it won't be on your screen and it won't be in your uh, phone. Um, I shared this scripture yesterday in our men's breakfast, and, and, I, and I, I, I directed it specifically at men, but, uh, but I think it, it really goes for everybody. In, in the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 4, I think it was verse 7, um, especially, I'm going to, quote from the NIV uh, because I like the way it puts it. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. King James Version says something like, you are all fair. But I love the NIV says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no fault in you. If we would understand that Song of Solomon was written from the bridegroom king to the bride. Now, what does the word call us? The bride of Christ. So what is God's view of us? God's view of us is you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no fault in you. That's hard to, that's hard to understand. Because we are trained from a very young age, especially if you, you've been around church any length of time at all, you need to feel guilty for this and feel guilty about that and feel bad about this and feel guilty about this and you can't do this and you can't go your hair that way and you can't cut it this way and don't put marks on your body and don't pierce your ears and, you know, however you were raised. Don't wear dresses, don't wear pants. I don't care to put a dress on, it don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> Brent came in in a poncho today. I mean, <laughs> so we look at all these things, and we've always been taught, don't, 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 don't. And, and what we've done is for the majority of, of, of the church's world is we have made Christianity about don'ts. And what we can't do, and what we can't have, and what we should feel guilty about, and what we should feel bad about, and how we should feel just awful because I've lived such a terrible, awful life, and I'm going to have to pay for this. Mm. <laughs> Go, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Philippians 3, verse 9, from the King James Version. It says, and be found in him. Where does he tell us to be found? And be found in him, not having my own righteousness. See, when I'm found in him, Alice, I don't have my own righteousness anymore. 
Because as we looked at last time we were together, my righteousness is like a filthy thing that should be discarded and thrown away. He said, be in, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, which means of keeping a bunch of rules, keeping a bunch of regulation, keeping a bunch of do's and don'ts and checks and boxes, and as long as you tick the right box and you're, you're good to go. He said, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. So where does my righteousness come from? It's not even my righteousness. That's why Paul says, not having my own righteousness, but I am righteous because Jesus had faith. Amen. Oh, I'm sorry, that's what it says, right? Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through Christ, of faith through Christ. Oh, my goodness. Through the faith of Christ. Man, we miss that. The righteousness which is of God by faith. But whose faith? Christ's faith. Through the faith of Christ. But the righteousness which is of God through Christ faith. Isn't it awesome how when we think about it, how God said, I'm going to make salvation so easy for you that I'm going to take it out of your hands completely. He said, I tell you what, you don't even have to work for this. You don't have to do any work. All you have to do, Galen, is just receive what I'm laying out. You don't even have to ask me if you can have it. If he provides something for free and says it's for everyone, does that mean I have to go and ask him for it? That's like me looking at Perry saying, here, Perry, you can have this beautiful thing I've got here. And he walks up to the table and goes, can I have this? Didn't I just say you could have it? See, once he paid the price and he laid it all out, it's there for you and I just to walk up and take and partake of and enjoy. That's the faith of Christ. And through that faith of Christ, he has made you and I righteous, not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness which is of Jesus. Go to Isaiah 54. Whew. Isaiah 54, verse 17. He says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Man, we can quote that one. We can shout that one. We can declare that one. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. And see, that's where most of us stop. Most people can't quote the rest of this verse. They get the first part right, Brent. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises against me will be put to shame. And we can shout it from the mountains. <laughs> you shall condemn now look, look the rest of this verse this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord comma that means he's getting ready to finish this, the sentence what is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me oh mercy today's title if you wanted to title today's message is our forever heritage our forever heritage what is our forever heritage Idra? our forever heritage is that 
No weapon will form against me or prosper. Any voice that rises against me, I'll condemn. But my righteousness is from him. And I am found in him and not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but having that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. Not any other righteousness, but the righteousness that comes from God. See, your forever heritage is that God sees you righteous. Your forever heritage is that God will look at you and declare you. This is why we don't understand this, and this is why some people struggle with Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 7, when he says, in you there is no fault. I'm going to have to eventually, I've got a sermon that I, that I preached years ago, and I'm going to have to, I've talked about it several times here. We're going to have to bring it up again. It's called Saint You. Well, everybody talks about saint this, saint that, saint. But do you ever realize that God sees you as a saint? He venerates you the way that we have chosen to venerate a whole lot of other people. Come on. He says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. So what is a heritage? A heritage initially it just means the word inheritance. So if this is our forever heritage, we need to understand what a heritage is. A heritage is an inheritance. It's an estate that passes from an ancestor to an heir by descent or course of law. So if his righteousness is my heritage, that means by all supernatural law, it has, his righteousness has descended to me. Mm. It is, it's that estate that has went from one ancestor to another. And when I stand before God, he looks at me. And when you stand before God, he looks at you and he sees the inheritance, the heritage that is yours, that is forever, that says your righteousness is from God. That's why we can go before the, the throne of grace boldly because we belong there. We don't walk before God's throne and he goes, what are you doing here? You know you shouldn't be here. He doesn't have that special living room with the white carpet that you're never allowed into. He says, look, my house is your house. Everything I have belongs to you. Everything that I have access to. You say, well, how, what does God have access to? I don't know. That's why Ephesians says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or even think up. He says, everything I have belongs to you because your heritage is a righteousness that you did nothing to get. Your heritage is a righteousness that is a result of the faith of Jesus. And I'm telling you, his faith is not lack, does not come up short, and is not weak. His faith settled a righteousness for us that is forever a settled thing in the annuals of heaven. There's, there was a book of law called Scott's Law. And that word heritage... In Scott's Law, I think it's up there, yeah. It sometimes signifies an immovable 
estate in distinction from so what does that mean that means it can't be removed that's heritage man when you have been given a heritage of righteousness it's an immovable estate that God has forever set upon you and he has declared you righteous well then why don't people why do people do so many unrighteous things because they have yet to understand what God has already provided for them why is the world in the shape it's in? Because nobody told them they don't have to be this way. That there is freedom because God has already put a stamp over them. He has already declared them righteous. Oh. I see, this is where people get nervous. How can God already declare them righteous when they're doing such horrible, awful things? Either Jesus' sacrifice was the sacrifice, either Jesus was who he says he is and who the word says he is or, he, or there's a lie somewhere. Because there was a time when Jesus come out of the wilderness and he walked right up to where his cousin was doing some baptizing. And his cousin turned around and looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Either he's the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Either that was settled on the cross or yet we are still trying to earn something that he says not of the law having found my own righteousness but because of the faith and the faithfulness of Jesus who went to the cross for my part. I have been forever and declared righteous. It is my forever heritage. He has declared me righteous and I just have to walk in it except oh come on folks how how much what does God what does God really see you as go to Genesis chapter 1 Genesis chapter 1 it's okay if I teach this some more right I've been in a teach mode the last few times because folks we overlook this because religion has made us feel bad about ourselves. Parents made us feel good. Now, does that mean I could go out here and I just do any stupid thing I want and should never feel bad about it? No. Look at me. No. <laughs> Sin is still detrimental. So before you get any crazy ideas about me. <laughs> but it still doesn't change the fact of what God settled on the cross. Who are you? Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 from the message translation. And I love the message because this paraphrase puts it in such beautiful language. He says, and God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. See, the original creation of man was a direct reflection of the very nature of God. Well, we all know what happened in the garden. Somebody say, but Jesus. That's why Jesus called that last Adam. He was the Adam who set that back. He reset, oh, resets that clock back to the place where we can walk in our original destiny again. And God said, let us make man in our image. Let him make us reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle. And yes, earth itself. So what were we supposed to be responsible for? Earth. 
and everything on it. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth. Now, I love verse 27. And God created human beings. He created them godlike. King James Version says he created them in his own image. Anybody here ever met my father? I am Leo-like. You say, what does that mean? If you ever saw my father, you would know exactly what Leo-like is. I look like him. I sound like him. I act like him. There's pictures where me and my brother and my dad are standing together. You can tell there's no, there's, man, there's no, no, there's no way of getting around it. That is my dad. Think about it is God did the exact same thing with you. He created you to look like him, to act like him, to sound like him, to be him on the earth. Man decided he wanted to try to do things his own way, and then he sent Jesus to reestablish that relationship back to us. And now our forever heritage is one that is found through the faith of Jesus. And because of the faith of Jesus, you and I now carry a righteousness that is not even our own righteousness. Mm. You were created to look like him, to be like him. So he created human beings. He created them God-like. Again, King James says in his own image. Reflecting God's nature, he created them male and female. So you know what that tells you? Men and women both are the reflection of God's nature. But I thought God was a father. Y'all do realize there's words that's put in there so that our knuckleheads can try to grasp some kind of reality He's so much bigger than what we... <laughs> Men and women are the reflection. So he created man and woman godlike, reflecting his nature. And then he gave us a forever heritage of righteousness in God, where God birthed us on this planet. He planted us here to be his reflection. And now, folks, we're not trying to become children of God. You are, and I want to show it to you in a few minutes, you are God's children now. We're not trying to get there. Well, if I can just get sanctified, you can't do that either. You all do know there's scripture that says that Jesus is your sanctification. <laughs> if he was my sanctification, what else do I need to do? That will twist our Pentecostal brains. <laughs> He's our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is every, when are we going to get this, Kevin, that he did it all so that we would have no part in it? Because if he knew, if we had a part in it, my mind goes back to the story. You remember the story when God was going to cut a covenant with Abraham? He brought Abraham and he's going to cut a covenant with him. And what does he do? He puts Abraham over to the side and says, I'll handle this. And so he begins to cut the covenant, and Abraham's over here trying to shoo every critter away. God was so interested in making sure that this covenant was between him and him only. <laughs> he put Abraham to sleep so that Abraham wouldn't have a part in this covenant. 
What did God do for us? He saw that we would mess it up, left on our own, so he sat us aside and put on the form of a body named Jesus. He came down that he himself would make the covenant between God and man. He said, I'm going to take you out of it because you'll mess it up. But when I do it, it's a forever heritage that will last you forever. It's not your righteousness anymore. Man, imagine... If you, some of you will get this, it'll remove some shame that you've been carrying off yourself. Well, maybe I should be ashamed of what I've done. You might be embarrassed. <laughs> oh, come on. We cannot forget the fact that anything and everything we do is settled through the person of Jesus. Go to John chapter 14. Go to John chapter 14 verse 20. John chapter 14 verse 20. He said, and that, at that day you will know that I am in my Father. So where's Jesus? Now we've covered this several times here. And that day you'll know that I am in my Father. And you in me. And I in you. So what's, what's the word telling us here? Jesus is in the Father, and I'm in Jesus. So where does that put me? In the Father. But he also says that Jesus says that I'm in you. So if Jesus is in the Father, where does that put the Father now? In me. Oh, folks. Do you realize you are the divine house? of the very trinity of God and that you walk in a righteousness that is not your own that you had nothing to do with it it is because of the faith of Jesus that you have been made righteous and it is a forever inheritance that God has settled in you and that you are in him he is in you it is such a tangled mess that we live so deep inside of God he can't tell the difference where he ends and you begin I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. This is a tangled mess. What a beautiful mess it is. Because it's righteousness tied into this. See, now I don't carry my own righteousness because I'm so tangled up in Jesus. God can't see where Jesus' righteousness ends and mine began. Oh, and I brought nothing to the table. What could I bring? What could I bring to the table? What can I bring to this table? <laughs> Go to John 17. This is the reality of salvation. This makes us really, really nervous because we've been taught to work hard for this. <laughs> John 17, verse 20. And I don't pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one. You, Father, are in me, and I in you. <laughs> They're so tangled up. And they also may be one in us. Oh. That the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me... I have given them. 
Not only do you carry the righteousness of God, you carry the glory of God. The same glory that was on Jesus himself. When's the last time you looked at yourself that way? That you are the walking embodiment of the glory of Jesus. <laughs> Let's read it again. And the glory which you gave me, I give them. Whew. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You are divinely loved. God loves you right now as much as he ever loved Jesus. This is who you are. How easily we look at these scriptures and we just read over them. We don't understand that Jesus says, I'm giving you my glory. The same glory I got from the Father, I'm giving them my glory. And you love them as much as you loved me. This is what he's talking about. Folks, it's time to get acquainted with your Father. It's time we get acquainted. You know, I, I, I was... Uh, well, I won't bring that up right now. <laughs> Sometimes I've got to bite my own tongue. See, when Jesus was on the earth, folks, his message was God as Father. But it wasn't accepted. Because you had religious leaders who liked to go around with boxes tied on their forehead. Or wrapped to their arm. So that they could say they always had the word of God on their mind or in their right hand. So they could go around. There was actually one group of, of, of religious leaders that walked around literally with their nose up because it was considered dirty to look down on anyone else. God never, listen to me, he has never walked around with his nose turned up at you. He has loved you with an ever lasting love and the, uh, the heritage of yours. See, but this is not what religion has shown us. Folks, let me tell you something. Religion will show you God. It'll show you God, but only this understanding of relationship will show you Father. Religion is real good about showing us God. You know, the one that just, you mess up. You know, we've painted him as this big giant combat boot, just ready to squash us. But he's looking for people who understand the relationship between him and them. And he is looking for people who are realizing and walking in their manifestation as sons and daughters. Creation, we're going to get to the scripture in a minute, but the word says that creation groans, it waits earnestly for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. It's not that they're not here, it's just they've not come to the realization of who they are yet. Oh, glory. Romans chapter 8. Teaching's okay, right? <laughs> 
Cindy, I love this word. It set me free. I told, I don't remember who I told. I said, man, when I really got a hold of this, shame really just fell completely off of me. It's, it, it's not something I deal with now. But do you do everything perfect? I wish, Dave. I tell D I do. But I don't, but that has nothing to do with how God loves me. Mm. Romans chapter 8. Now Christ, this is out of the passion. He says, now Christ lives his life in you. And if you got King James or something close to that, it says, if Christ be in you. Is that correct? Somebody's reading theirs. Here's the thing about that word, if. According to Vincent's word studies of the New Testament words, that word, if, get this. He says, Vincent says, it's a condition or a contingency as to which there is no doubt. So what he's saying is, there is no doubt Christ lives in you. That condition. So if you're saying, well, you're saying that Christ lives in life, but King James word says if. Now you know what the word if means there. It's a condition, which means there is no doubt. He says, it's a condition or contention, there is no doubt. He says, so now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, because that's what sin did. Killed the flesh. Dies daily. On its way. His life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Righteous. Now again, you're saying, all right, I get this. I can go just do anything I want to do and never have to worry about it. No. But it's because of this acceptance, it doesn't give me freedom to sin. It gave me freedom from sin. I don't want to sin now. I am completely free of the obligations that I had to a dead nature that no longer has any part of me because of the faithfulness of Jesus who imparted righteousness to me. <laughs> Even though your body may be dead in sin because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Verse 11, yes, God raised Jesus to life and since God's spirit of resurrection lives where? There we go. We've already seen the Father's in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father and they both live in me and now the Spirit, that big giant capitalist, lives in me. Full housing of the Trinity of God. Man, imagine who you really are. This is a forever inheritance. And since the Spirit lives in you, He will also raise your dying body up to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. Verse 12. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. Now, you got to understand what that means. Well, I'm just weak in this area. That was always my excuse. I'm just weak and I keep falling into this, Rachel. I just keep falling into this. Mm-mm. For me to fall into that is for me to go complete 
opposite of what my spirit has been created to be. It is a complete rebellion and a returning away from what God has created me to be. Because the flesh has no hold on me. Well, I just can't control it. Yes, you can. No, I can't. I just, it's a habit. Break it. Well, that's easier said than done. Nobody said this stuff was easy, Kevin. <laughs> he said, and so, th then beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. You are not obligated to just live by your darkest desires. It's not this habit. You have no obligation to your flesh at all. Imagine how that'll set some folks free. When I realize I can be different if I walk to the table and I just partake of what the Father has already provided for me. Oh, folks, this is such freedom. So quiet in this place. <laughs> Verse 13. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. Why? Because you're living complete opposite of how God created you. Because the flesh has no right on you, it has no claim on you, and you're not obligated to fulfill it. All right? For when you live by the flesh, you're about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, then we then taste his abundant life. What puts to death the ways of the flesh? Not you. <laughs> you don't kill the ways of your flesh. The Spirit has already done that. New creation realities. The Spirit... Back that up. Who's back? Bobby. For when you are lived controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death, what puts to death the ways of the flesh? The Spirit. Well, I keep trying to overcome and trying to overcome. Just overcome. <laughs> Partake of the righteousness that you did nothing to get. Oh, folks. Then we then taste the abundance of life, abundant life. Verse 14. The mature children of God. Oh, so that's why who we're talking to today. That's everybody in this room, right? You're watching online. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. King James Version says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage. Again unto fear. I like the passion here. Is that what I'm reading? Yeah. For you do not receive the spirit of religious duty. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Back to Vincent's word studies of that little part of that scripture of, of you have not received a spirit of bondage if you're reading King James. He says this, he says that word bondage, he said it is the state of man in which he is prevented from freely possessing and enjoying his life. You have not received the spirit 
that causes you not to freely possess and enjoy your life. Are you with me? He, he goes on to say, it is opposed to liberty. In the New Testament, that word there is used figuratively only as a slave spirit in contrast to a spirit of sonship. You have not received a spirit that keeps you from freely possessing and enjoying your life. In other words, he gave you the very ability to possess your life and to enjoy life. And it's only through his righteousness. Huh. Let's keep reading verse, verse 15. We're still in it. Yeah. He said, you have received the spirit of full acceptance, adopted, enfolding us into the family of God, and you will never be orphaned for he, or as he raises up within us, our spirits join him in saving the word, in, in saving the words of tender, in saying, sorry, the words of tender affection. King James says, Abba, Father, beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Imagine the end of the revolving door in the church if we would convince new believers of this right off the bat. This is why you have some come and they disappear for six months because they can't get past their past. If we could just convince them, oh. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined with Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Now, I want to, I want to focus on that real quick. It doesn't mean provided that you offer some sacrifice, some sufferings of your own. Well, sometimes you just got to suffer for it. Not with God. He says you accept his sufferings as yours. Doesn't mean you offer more suffering. I'm just suffering for the Lord. No, you don't have to offer sufferings. You accept his as yours. Just like you accept his righteousness as yours. Just uh, Oh, goodness, folks. See why this, this, this hamster wheel of religious duty has kept us from real relationship with God. The entire, oh, I'm verse 18. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the multitude of glory that is about to be unveiled in us. The entire universe is standing. I, I love how the passion puts it here. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Folks, as we continue to gain this deeper relationship with him, we'll continue to see ourselves as you begin to understand who he is. God loves me. 
because I'm his son. God loves you because you're his child. We are children of God now. He put his righteousness in us. Listen to how the message puts 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. <laughs> We're called children of God. And that is who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize, recognize us or take us serious. Because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. Verse 2. But friends, that's exactly who we are. Children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him and in seeing him become like him. The whole purpose of all this is to continue to drive us to be more like Christ. And I have to come to the point where, where I ask myself, Mark, what am I, in, my, in my life am I doing that is keeping me from being closer here? And then I have to ask myself, Steve, is this worth that? And I believe I find out that when I see all this stuff, this temporary thing that I have no bondage to, I have no obligation to, that I have no need for, all of a sudden it starts getting dimmer as I fall under the shadow of the cross. And when I fall under the shadow of the cross, it's not that I'm getting to be more like God. I'm just revealing of how much like him I really am. Because he has already been my righteousness. He's already made my, this is my forever heritage. Last scripture, we'll go to lunch. John chapter 1, verse 12 from the Amplified. John chapter 1, verse 12 from the Amplified. He says, but as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. So whose right is it to become children of God? Whose authority is it to become children of God? It's your authority to become God's child. God doesn't take offense to you walking up and saying, hey, I'm your kid. Well, okay. Then come and let's act out Ephesians over here. Come and sit with me on the throne. Come up here and seat with me in heavenly places. <laughs> because this is where you truly belong. He says, as many as received him, he gave, I think King James says, the power to be the children of God. The power to be the children of God lies where? <laughs> Why? Because he's already done all the work. And he's laid it out and said, there it is. If you want it, take it. And it's up to you and I. That's the power to become the children of God. 
that that is to those who believe, accept, receive, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name. In other words, I trust you that what you said about me is true. This is called repentance, by the way. I trust what you said about me is true. And so I accept what you said about me. And because of that, you love me just like you love Jesus. Some of you need to say that over yourself every morning. You need to get up and say, I am loved as much as Je- I am loved by God as much as Jesus was loved by God. I walk in the glory of God as much as Jesus did because Jesus gave his glory to me. I am so righteous. It's, it's crazy how, much right, how righteous I am. It's ridiculous. Why? Because I walk in his righteousness, not in my own righteousness anymore. My own righteousness messed it up. But it's not mine anymore. Verse 13 of John 1. This is freedom, folks. Who were born not of blood or natural conception? You were not born this way of natural conception nor of the will of the flesh, physical impulse. You weren't even born because of this, this, this new birth, because of your own impulses or your own will. Oh. <laughs> nor the will of man, of that of a natural father, but of God. That is divine and a supernatural birth. They are born of God, spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified. My goodness, folks. This is why salvation is so much fun. Listen, before I I, I awakened to salvation, before I received this and said, hey, I want to eat off this table, I was miserable. When did the church get it wrong that once you, became, once you came into the family, you acted miserable? We've got this thing completely screwed up. I know what I was like, Lana. I was miserable. But man, there came a day when I hung up the phone because I made my mom mad at me. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, you know what you need. And I said, yeah, I need to go to another room. He didn't judge me. He didn't yell at me. He didn't scream at me. He didn't tell me how awful I was. He didn't even blame me that, that, well, I won't even go into that. I walked into the other room, Rachel, and you know what he said? You dirty, rotten, filthy, lousy. Nope. All he said to me was, you know what you need. And Galen, I said, I need to go to bed. And I ran upstairs. I was at 663 Ivydale Drive in Westerville, Ohio. I ran upstairs, and guess who was there waiting on me? Becky, you know what he said to me? You know what you need. I said, yeah, I need to sleep in another room. <laughs> what was he trying to do? He was telling me that I was living a complete fabricated existence. That I was living in a life that he had already set me free from. That that was not who I really was. It was just something that I chose to do. And I walked into that other room. And guess who was there? And he said, you know what you need. 
And I couldn't take it anymore. Because I was miserable. But then righteousness. <laughs> then I sat down at his table and I began to eat the fruit of his righteousness. I ate the fruit of his faith that made me righteous. And realized that left on my own, I made a mess of everything. But now, my forever heritage is that I am a child of God and there ain't nothing that can be done about it. That is my forever heritage. That it's not my righteousness, my efforts, my way of trying to make myself good enough could ever get me there. The only thing that made me good enough was Jesus and he already did it. And the only thing that will make you good enough is Jesus and he's already done it. So the only question is, what are you going to do with that? How about come and just partake? Because he gave you the power to be the children of God. And it's as simple as saying, I want that. Amen? Let's pray and then, yeah, let's pray first. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. Father, today I hope my words have rung in the heart of someone. I hope they realize how much you love them and how much you have chosen them. And Father, today, let your grace, mercy, and love pour out over us. Let us be reminded daily of your righteousness that is in us. Let us be reminded daily that the flesh has no control over us and, 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 and that I am under no obligation to it. And so today, Father, in Jesus' name, let us be ever mindful of your righteousness. Amen. In Jesus' name.